Welcome to season two of the First Prez podcast. Last season was titled Gathered and Sent. It was all about our purpose and mission, being both gathered as the church to equip and encourage one another and sent to be the church in our neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. This season, we're focusing on the five values that guide all of our decisions as a church. We believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus, who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. So welcome to season two, Values and Direction. We made the decision a couple weeks ago that it's time to get back to work. It's time to continue our conversation about our purpose, our mission, our values. Whether we are in normal times, whatever those are, or if we're in a time of crisis. So we're diving deeper into the five values uh, that will guide us into the future as both a gathered and sent church. So we believe that we are called to be a church of disciple-making disciples who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. So this is the third and final week on the value of biblical literacy. Next week, Sabrina will kick off our conversation on the value of spiritual formation. So today, I want to share with you an analogy. Um, It's one that's been guiding me. It's guiding a lot of my thinking during this whole COVID season. But I want to remind you from last week, don't be militantly or absolutely literal with this. It's just an analogy. I'm going to talk about a game, but I am in no way trying to trivialize our mission. I'm not trying to trivialize our faith. I'm not equating God's activity among us with something as simple as a game. This is just an analogy. One of my former professors, uh, he wrote early on during the COVID crisis about the challenges that churches will face during this time of isolation. And he was focused more on what we might learn about ourselves, that we might have the chance to learn what we are really capable of. So here's how he put it. Uh, He shared that master chess players, when they're teaching other people how to play, they often use a strategy that seems counterintuitive. Now, I know how to play chess, but I am not a chess player. I do know this. I know that the queen is the most versatile and powerful piece in the game. So my professor said, if you want to learn how to play chess, you should start by removing your own queen. Once you've mastered the game without the most powerful piece, then put the queen back in and see just how good you are. You see, I think for decades, the church has relied on one thing for its success, for its growth. The church in our time has relied maybe too heavily on its gathered worship service. All of us together in one room, praying, singing, proclaiming the truth of scripture. Now look, I can't wait to get back to that. And this is not to minimize the importance of worship. Worship is of utmost importance. But his point was this. What happens to your church when the most powerful piece is taken away? Can you still play the game? Can you still be a church with a purpose and a mission? See, when you play chess without the queen, you're forced. You're forced to be creative and innovative. You're forced to consider the potential that lies in all the other pieces on the board. 
It forces you to get outside of your comfort zone and try some new things that you might not have had the courage to try before. This analogy, it's just been on my heart and on my mind ever since we entered into this opportunity to be a full-time sent church. How will we be the church without getting everybody together for worship? What's our purpose? How will we stay on mission? How will we survive? Those have been my fears that have been speaking in the back of my mind. Now, we have, of course, continued to offer worship, but it's clearly very different. This is not the same. This online experience that we've had now for eight weeks, it is not a replacement for the experience of all of us worshiping together in the same place. But this analogy, this analogy of playing chess without the queen, it's really been inspiring to me. It's guided our whole team. It's helped us to think about how we can be more creative and more innovative. It's guided us as we have weekly tried to challenge ourselves to consider how investing in other areas of ministry might help them thrive and help keep us on purpose and on mission. So the question, what does all this have to do with biblical literacy? Well, think about this. I want you to imagine that you're sitting down to play a game of chess, but you're given the rules to checkers. You get to move some pieces around. Maybe there's a game there, but you're definitely not playing chess. So now imagine sitting down to play a game of chess, but you decide to play according to the rules of some other game, like, I don't know, Monopoly or something. <laughs> what, what is that? that? That's a mess. Imagine this. You sit down to play a game of chess, but both players decide, you know what, let's make up our own rules. Let's each make up our own rules. Let's each decide to use our pieces however we want. Let's each decide how to define who wins. I mean, what, what is that? That's, that's nothing. It's not a game. It's, it's nothing. You see, I've heard the Bible described in so many ways. Uh, I've seen it listed Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. <laughs> no offense, but I am just not a fan of that one for so many reasons. I've also heard it described as like a manual for operating a car or like a rule book for life. And I understand those descriptions. They make a little more sense to me and they work for some. I just think the Bible is so much more than that. You see, even though it does contain rules for how to play the game, it's not simply a rule book. It's more like the broadcast of a game as it's being played. You see, you have to know the rules to understand what's going on, but it's a game that's meant to be played, a way of life that's meant to be lived now as we anticipate a life to come. It's not just a dusty old book of rules that we pull off the shelf every time we get in trouble. It's a daily guide that leads us and helps us understand how this life is meant to be lived. You see, the Bible is the story of a creator being revealed to his creation. God then teaching his creation how he created it to work. At the same time, it's the story of his created beings, sometimes playing by the rules, other times playing by the rules of some other game, or just making up new rules on their own. And when that happens every single time, the story falls apart, the game falls apart. At some points in the story, it's simply, it's unrecognizable. 
So that's when the king himself moves into the neighborhood. He places his peace on the board and he shows us how this life is meant to be lived. And in doing so, he opens the door to a life that can be lived with him forever. He's not just showing us how to win a game. He's showing us how to have real life. That's that story that Beth told us earlier, the story of God's incredible love for us. You see, you can learn how to play chess without the queen. It's still chess. But you can't be a church without learning the scriptures. So let's read again this passage in 2 Timothy and see what it might have to say to us today. This is 2 Timothy 3, and I'm going to start in verse 14. It says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Father, as always, we know that you are present with us as your word is read. Be present with us, within us, as the gospel is proclaimed through it. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people, no matter where you are, said, amen. So, as I shared with you last week, I read that same passage. Uh, The Apostle Paul, he's encouraging his student named Timothy not to give up. Timothy would replace Paul eventually. He will pastor this church in Ephesus. And Paul is telling Timothy, don't give up. Don't give in to pressure because you're about to face it. Trust my teaching, Paul is saying to Timothy, trust my teaching, trust others who have taught you well and rely on God's word as the source of truth and authority for this life and the next. So this passage does take place in the context of this church in Ephesus. This is a church that Paul himself, we believe that Paul planted. But that church began to persecute its own pastor and its teachers. It preferred the teaching of others, people who were more charismatic, teachers who could really work a crowd. The kind of people who basically will tell other people exactly what they want to hear. And if we're honest, for the most part, we we do prefer to hear what we want to hear, right? Rather than being confronted with an ancient truth that's going to challenge everything about who we are and what we believe. So Paul tells Timothy to get ready because these people are not going to put up with your biblical teachings for long. 
because they would rather hear things that suit their own purpose, that suit their own personal desire. Typically, people don't want to hear about the life that God has planned for them. They'd rather hear about how they might live their best life on their own terms. One author put it this way. He said, authority in matters of truth and doctrine does not come from charismatic speakers who might charm an audience or from propositions that might make one, that might ease one's way of life. Authority only comes from the very breath of God. You see, in Paul and Timothy's time, people just wanted their ears itched. They scratched their itching ears. That's a phrase that came from ancient poetry. They just wanted to hear that they were basically good and that the point of life was to be the healthiest, wealthiest, and happiest person that they could possibly be. That was 2,000 years ago. And that is clearly still true today. And unfortunately, in some places, it is even encouraged by the church itself. There are churches that are filled with charismatic speakers, people who know how to charm an audience. And listen, I'm not calling out any individual. That is not my job. I saw this the other day on social media. It says, biblical Christianity is unpopular. But popular Christianity is unbiblical. You see, my job is to take Paul's words to Timothy to heart myself, to be laser focused, to be committed to scripture myself, to rely on God's word and on those who have taught me as I am now passing that along to you. I can't be worried about scratching itching ears or about saying things that people want me to say. I can't be worried about offending you with God's word. I have to be more worried about offending God by departing from his word and replacing his word with my own. In our family, we have four very different perspectives on family game nights. And there have been a lot of family game nights over the past eight weeks. I actually posted this on Facebook a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was trying to find out if there are any games that might be fun for us, so I posted this. I said, uh, one herb doesn't like to play games. One herb loves to play them all, asks to play them all the time, but doesn't like to lose, but typically does. Another herb enjoys games when there's time, but doesn't like to lose, and rarely does. And the fourth herb just doesn't care. I'm not using pronouns so we can pretend that you don't know <laughs> which is which. So one of our games is called Rummy Cube. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. But we've been playing this game with the kids for a long time. Like, we've been playing this game with the kids even before they were good at math. Like, before they really had any chance of winning. And, and they never did. Uh, they lost, like, every time. Now, as a parent, it was tempting to cheat a little bit, but to cheat on their behalf, right? To help them win. Especially because one little herb... Uh, the one who doesn't like losing but usually does, that herb had a habit of throwing not just a fit, but a screaming fit that was accompanied by first taking all the rummy cube pieces, putting them in a little container, and then throwing them all around the house every time that that little herb lost. So it was a temptation to maybe cheat a little bit to help that little herb win 
every now and then. If we would have just bent the rules every once in a while and let them win, I mean, just imagine how good those little herbs would have felt thinking that he or she had won the game. But they wouldn't have really won, would they? Now, one of the two herb parents was really serious about this. I'm not gonna tell you which one. But the one who likes to win and usually does decided, look, I don't care how old they are. We're gonna play by the rules. And then one day, the kids will finally beat us. And when they do, it'll just be amazing, right? <laughs> well, well, now they do. Uh, in the past few weeks, uh, this is the herb who likes to win and usually does um, until now. Now I usually don't. Uh, I haven't won a game in like three weeks. And I'm honestly getting a little grumpy about it. Um, I, I really don't want to talk about it anymore. It's tempting to cheat a little. It's tempting to tell you what you want to hear because that'll probably keep you coming in, right? It, it might keep your money coming in too. It's tempting to tell you what you want to hear. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want you to come in. I don't want to make you feel bad. I mean, I want you to feel good. I want you to be encouraged and have hope. But more important than that, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to win this life so that you can have eternal life. So it's tempting to cheat a little bit. It's tempting uh, to reduce the gospel to sound bites, to soften it a bit so that it's easier for us to digest, so it's easier to accept. I mean, we live in a soundbite world. Who, who doesn't want to do that? It's tempting to pander, uh, to say things that will make you like me, uh, to try to say things in ways that might impress you, make you think that I'm really smart or super spiritual. It's tempting to make the gospel about us. I mean, honestly, we, we all like to hear stories about ourselves. But here's the truth. The gospel isn't about us. It's about the coming kingdom of God and the person of Jesus Christ. It's about God. It's not about us. We are heirs. We are beneficiaries to the gospel. And that is good news. But the gospel is not good news about me. It's good news for me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that whether I or Sabrina or Mark or whoever's preaching, it doesn't mean that our goal is to use scripture to beat you up and make you feel bad about yourself. It just means that Paul's instructions to Timothy apply to us, that we are to preach the word, to be prepared in season and out of season. That just means when it's popular and when it's not. To teach, to correct, to rebuke, and to encourage. And Paul says to do it with great patience and with careful instruction. We are to teach and preach the truth of scripture and to allow it to criticize and correct us and also use it to encourage one another, to remind one another that in spite of our brokenness, that we are truly and deeply loved by the all-powerful creator of the universe. But here's the twist. This isn't only an instruction for me and Sabrina and Mark and other pastors and teachers. This instruction from Paul to his student Timothy, it's also for you. We are the priesthood of believers. It is also your job to teach and preach the word, whether it's popular or not. To trust it, to guide you and others 
to allow it to fix what's broken within you, to offer that gift to others, to let it give you hope and faith in this life so that you have life in the one to come. You are called to be a gospel bringer. The gathered church equips you to be a gospel bringer as you are sent out into the world every day. You are called to be a person on this planet who is a bringer of hope and truth. Now, each of us are gonna do that in different ways. I'm wired to do this, to study the scriptures, to try to bring them to life for you and to equip you so that you can go do the same for others. That's, that's my wiring, that's my training. But not everybody is a teacher. We all have different gifts. Not everybody is called to stand in front of others or in front of a camera or on a street corner. But regardless of your gifts, everyone is called to proclaim the gospel in one way or another. Remember I shared with you the quote from a long time ago, proclaim the gospel always, but use words if necessary. Some are called to demonstrate the gospel. Demonstrate it through hospitality, through mercy, through service, through love. But no matter your gift, no matter what you are wired and equipped to do, we are all, all of us together, the complete body of Christ, with Christ as our head and our guide. All of us together, everyone doing their part, everyone on the same page about how the game is played. When we get to that point, when we are active as the sent church communicating the beautiful truth of Jesus, that's how the church becomes relevant again, even to a world that might not want to hear what we have to say. But we won't all be on the same page. We can't all be gospel bringers if we don't know the story. That's why biblical literacy matters so much. That's why if we are going to be disciple-making disciples, we first must be biblically literate. Because if the Bible is not the guide for how we live this life, then what are we basing it on? What are we making people disciples of? We're not called to make disciples of Chad. We're not called to make disciples of First Pres Kingwood. We are called to make disciples of Jesus. So we've got to know the story. So two practical things to offer you, and both of these things you've heard from me before. I mentioned last week, the first one. Tomorrow, on May 4th, we are starting 100 days of biblical literacy. Over the next 100 days, we want to invite you to join us in reading the Bible from cover to cover. And not only are church members, anybody else who might be watching, join us from wherever you are. Now, the good news is we have multiple paths. There's different ways to do this. If you have enough time, then read it with me, literally cover to cover, every word. And then once a week, I'll host a Zoom call and we will go over what we've read. <laughs> That's a pretty big commitment. If you don't have that much time, then choose to read a different path. It's what we're calling the defining moments. You can read that along with Sabrina and she will host a Zoom call every week for you as well. We'll also have a plan uh, for reading as a family with younger kids. And then our student ministries will chat via Zoom once a week to go over the defining moments readings together. So you'll find the reading plans on our website. You'll also find some resources that'll help you process and understand what you're reading. Uh, so go to the website for more details. Everything will be up by Monday morning. Uh, you can download the reading plans and start joining us on Monday 
for the next 100 days. I'm really excited about what this might do in all of our lives. And the second practical thing for you today, as you're reading it, whether you're reading it for the next 100 days with us or any time you read scripture on your own, write down these four questions. If you journal, put them in the front page of your journal. If not, write them in your Bible somewhere. Write down these four questions and keep them with you. Try to answer each of these questions every time you read scripture. They're gonna really help you focus on scripture and let it bring you back to God. Help you make scripture about God and not about us. They're just a simple tool for understanding and interpreting what you've read. So those four questions. The first one, who is God? And you have to start there. Scripture is primarily about God. The second question is, what has he done? What is the scripture telling you that God has done? The third question, then we come to us, who am I? And then the final question, and we ask it every week at the end of every sermon, is so what? Now that I know more about who God is, now that I know what God has done, now that I understand better who I am, so what? What does this mean for our daily lives? I think that meme that I saw on social yesterday is true. That biblical Christianity is unpopular, but popular Christianity is unbiblical. So let's use this season. Let's see if it can bring out some of those other pieces on the chessboard. Let's see how we might use this time to become more biblically literate so that we can be a people of purpose, a people who are on mission, even in the strangest of times. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are grateful for the story. Grateful that you have made us a part of that story. Jesus, we are grateful that in the midst of that story that you came to rescue us. Holy Spirit, we are grateful that in this season you are present not only with us but within us and among us and working through us. So I pray that as a church, that we can rally around not just a worship service or not around one ministry in particular, but that we would rally around scripture. Because it is through your word that we will come to know you better, that we'll come to understand ourselves, that we will see clearly the mission that you have prepared for us. So God, be present with us. Guide us through these next 100 days. And I pray that all of us together will come to a deeper understanding of you, of ourselves, and what it means to be your church. Be with those who are hurting. Be with a world that feels like it's falling apart. Give us confidence and hope and encouragement that you are in control no matter what's going on around us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website. You can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.